The following recording may contain explicit language. I can't get more explicit than may. Let's just say it may. It's Monday, May 13th, 2019 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. You know, I don't think the lady on top of that dragon would have acted like that. You know, the dragon flying lady, I mean. The dragon flying lady I know, she's, she seems a lot nicer. You know the dragon flying lady, the one who said this a couple years ago. I will crucify the masters. I will set their fleets afire. Kill every last one of their soldiers and return their cities to the dirt. See, she's not the kind of person who would turn a city into cinder, am I right? Oh, also, you should know that insanity runs in 50% of her family, but just turning her so cruel so suddenly. You know, I sometimes think that the writers of this show about a mystical land of magic, the undead and witches are making it up. I do like Game of Thrones. I am growing less enamored with the gang of groans that accompanies every episode afterwards. It's not what I would have done. That's not consistent with her character. We see this in Avengers, too. You know, I think the superhero who's friends with the Norse god and the unfrozen super soldier wouldn't really be making a peanut butter sandwich. Kind of stretching credulity there, guys. I like Game of Thrones. I liked the episode. Liked it a lot. Oh, by the way, spoilers. Yeah. Torching a city to the ground to establish your bona fides as a strong ruler who at least has the power to torch a city to the ground. That is legit. That is a totally legit move. It's not a nice move. This wasn't game of can't we all get along? All the great empires torch cities to the ground to take one, the current one we're living in, the U.S., Nagasaki, Hiroshima, Dresden. We don't even have familial madness to blame. We just have nuclear weapons, or as I call them, science dragons. But still, the idea that she wouldn't have done it. She wouldn't have done it. Guess what, guys? She did it. I got HBO. I saw it. She did it. No, I mean, in real life, she wouldn't have done it. It's not real life. The whole thing depends. The it we're talking about depends on her riding on a dragon. No, no, no. I mean, as previously established by the rules and characterizations set forth in the show itself, back when it was good, or people were complaining less, or there weren't as many podcasts about it. Okay, okay, okay. This is where I'm going to prove my case, okay? So if you watch last night's episode, it's called The Bells. There was this tintinabulation of the bells. And then Danny went all Dracaris on us. And by the way, let me just stop here and say, if you're doing fire all the time, the word for fire is Dracaris. Do you have to keep saying it? Dracaris, 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 Dracaris. All right, make a turn up here on the left. Dracaris, Dracaris, Dracaris. Or is there like a Dracaris auto lock or a, or a key command? Or can she Oprah the whole deal? Like, you get a Dracaris and you get a Dracaris. But, but, here's my point. The bells. Think about the bells. Here's what I did. I went back and I looked at all the old episodes. And you can see that the show was establishing that Danny has a Pavlovian response to bells. Every time something terrible or traumatic happens to her, a bell rings. All right? So, Listen to this scene from season one. This is when her brother is killed in front of her. Listen to the background. It's, it's subtle. Daddy, please! A crown for king. <laughs> Did 
Did you hear that? Did you pick that up? That was, I think it's a Dothraki dancing girl. She walks by at that moment. I don't know if you could pick it up, but there was distinctly, I heard a bell. And in this scene, same season, she's told that her baby does not survive birth. My son. Where is he? I want him. Where is he? The boy did not live. Now, did you hear, at first, I thought that was like one of those coffee cup type continuity errors, but now I think it's meant to be there. Sir Jorah was getting a call. Again, Danny associating trauma with Bell's last example, when she is told that her great love, Khal Drago, is dead and the old witch taunts her. Why don't you take a look at your Khal? Then you will see exactly what life is worth when all the rest has gone. Did you hear what happened there? Someone entered the witch's bric-a-brac shop, uh, half-priced turquoise. But of course, again, there's a bell. So here she is in King's Landing. And what do they play? And she goes all Dracarys. Scary degrees of Dracarys on us. It's all there, folks, in the original text. You just have to open your ears and your hearts. Also, let's remember this. It's a TV show about dragons. Okay, on the show today, I spiel about, oh wait, spoilers. Did I mention that there were spoilers? There were some spoilers there. Fine, forgot about that. But I spiel about a supposed Joe Biden gaffe from the past, which can also be described as him articulating a well-known position, except I don't know if you don't know it well. But first, the most frequent guest in GIST history has been Maria Konnikova, and she is here once more to play our award-winning game, Is That Bullshit? In this episode, Maria surprises me with the topic. The topic is a condition that I frequently say I have, but do I? Or, as the segment asks, is that bullshit? Let's find out. And now for this segment of Is That Bullshit?, I'm uh, I'm a little confused because Maria Konnikova is here. She is the author, as you know, of The Biggest Bluff. But I don't know what we're talking about. It's like a surprise segment with my most frequent and treasured guest, Maria Konnikova. Maria, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Happy anniversary. Well, thank you, Maria. I don't... This is not a setup. Uh, usually we come in yeah. and I've done, you know, about a minute and a half of work, but at least I know what we're talking about. Exactly, exactly. It's very no cool. It's idea. quality work. So yes. what do you think we're talking about? Give me your best guess. Let's see. The Lord? Is that bullshit? We're going theological? Excellent guess. Uh-huh. Excellent guess, but I think we've covered that one. Maybe it's uh, something about me and directed to my personality. Potentially. Potentially. I, it, I, like, I like the way- I'm going to throw an idea I like, out I like there. where this is going. Is it-, is it Anandamide? Anandamide? Come on, you got to pronounce it correctly. Is it anandamide? It is anandamide. Oh you God. got it. I can't believe it. And I just thought ding, of it. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, I'm so into this. This is going to change my life. Okay, now I can open my notes because yeah. I was keeping them closed so that you couldn't peek and is see. Is this bullshit anandamide? Yes. So, um, as listeners to the show know, you have 
frequently have, or not not infrequently that's right. Ooh, <laughs> referred like that referred to anandamide or yeah. the bliss molecule i don't think it's a, a correct way to describe it but i understand it does capture people's attention when i say yeah it. so so why don't you uh, why don't you bring people up to date on your understanding my knowledge my understanding of anandamide is this Just as there are some people, and I think we've come around to understand that certain amounts of uh, personality are described by what they used to call a chemical imbalance, right? Or just, you know, determined by Mm -hmm. genetics or chemicals, things like anxiety. Why is it only the bad stuff that's described or defined by a chemical imbalance? Why can't there be a chemical balance or even an imbalance that makes you... Happy, anxiety-free. I've always had that intuition. And then I came across an article that described a few traits of people with the so-called bliss gene, and it's that they don't experience anxiety. They tend to overeat. Marijuana <laughs> doesn't affect them. But what do you know about anandamide? And and can we can we just take this one step further? Yeah. And you've argued that you must have this. I, ha- I haven't argued strenuously. I mean, it hasn't caused me a lot of anxiety. But yeah, <laughs> I feel when I hear people and when I see people in my life talk about or experience anxiety, I understand, but I think I understand it like... I understand a woman giving being pregnant and giving birth. I understand it from afar. I totally can, you know, get the gestation is not a mystery to me, but I can't quite identify with it. Cool. So, so let's dive in okay. to anandamide. What is anandamide? So we've talked before when we talked about CBD mm-hmm. that we have in our brains an endogenous cannabinoid system, right? Mm. Um, so we have the system that deals with anxiety, pleasure, reward, all sorts of different things. Um, and it has there are two main receptors, CB1 and CB2, and there are <laughs> things that act on these receptors. And there are little droid friends, yes. R2B1 and R2B2. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, one of them is called 2AG, so, oh. <laughs> so we're pretty close. And the second one is anandamide. Yeah. So the difference between anandamide and 2AG and the other kind of ligands that are normally in the brain is that the kind of what substances? Did you say <laughs> okay. ligands? Yeah, L I G A N D S. I don't know yeah. ligands. Um, is that most of them are stored and then released when needed, mm-hmm. and anandamide and two A G are actually derived on demand. So it's involved anandamide specifically in stress and emotion processing, mm-hmm. um, in aversive stimulus extinction. So basically, if something bad happens to you, um, is it going to linger or are you going to be able to kind of forget it more yeah. quickly and move on? Do I forget it more quickly? Everyone has anandamide. Oh. So usually um, when, you ex- when a n- person with normal copies of all genes with like the most prevalent copy of yeah. all genes. So someone who's typical, yes. genetically typical. Genetically typical. When... You're put in a, in a situation where you're stressed out, your level of anandamide will actually go down, mm-hmm. and the activity of this gene, FAAH, which is the fatty acid amide hydrolase gene, yeah. um, will go up. The more typical permutation of this gene has something called C385C. That's the polymorphism that's kind mm-hmm. of attached to it. But some people have a different polymorphism, which is 385A. And that is what has been linked to what you read about. So people have different variations of different genes all right. the time, right? We all, Our genetic code has tons of polymorphisms. And there's a polymorphism on this FAH gene 
called 385A. Yeah. Um, very poetic. Yeah, yeah. We have great. lots of robots today. Yeah. <laughs> called 385A, and that's been associated with basically reduced FAH functions, so you have higher levels of anandamide generally in your system, especially in stressful conditions. So really, when something happens in the environment and normally you'd get stressed out, mm -hmm. there's a countervailing effect, and you don't. Yeah. And so I think the, the article that you read probably came out around 2015, because this is when a big study came out with mice mm. um, that... Basically, what they did was they inserted this allele into mice, and then they made them learn this very scary thing. Uh -huh. So you freak out the mice, and then you see basically how freaked out the different mice become. And then also, once you start extinguishing, once you start doing fear extinction, which mice extinguish the fear the fastest. Cool. And the mice that had this mutation were able to extinguish their fear much faster and unlearn the fear response. And since then, there have actually been studies in humans as well that show that there are subjectively lower anxiety levels. Mm -hmm. um, I say subjective because you ask people how anxious are you feeling and you get a score from them. Yeah. But people who have two copies of this 385A tend to have lower anxiety levels huh. and they tend to experience less PTSD. So there have actually been studies now on pe people who experience PTSD and it does end up that people with two copies, once again, I, I'm stressing, I keep stressing two copies because yeah. I've seen multiple things in the media misreport this. So, so yes, so there were, have been studies showing that when you have the two things, it seems to decrease your stress response. But I think that this is probably a good time to mention that with any studies like this, it's not, you know, you can't call it like, we're not even calling it the bliss gene, but the bliss polymorphism. <laughs> the bliss allele? <laughs> the bliss allele. Yes, there we go. Um, you can't even call it that because even if these things are associated, it's so complex and human genetics are so complex and usually there are multiple factors involved. And so it's not like this thing is suddenly a cure-all and you have it yeah. and this happens or you don't have it and mm -hmm. that happens. And so I think that um, when you're talking about soldiers, when you're talking about things like that, it's, it's complicated. But the interesting thing um, in the study that was working on PTSD is that even though they reported lower levels of anxiety, um, it ends up that there was no actual physiological effect. So their body was feeling just as stressed. So your body has a fight or flight response, but your brain is it's like, eh, not saying okay. fight or flight. It's like, eh, yeah, maybe give some token resistance or take two steps backwards. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, and that's about as much as we know. So, that's it? Well, no, what we about do the know. Marijuana so, part? we do know that there is, yes, there, we also know some stuff about drugs and about yes. marijuana. Tell me. So, people who have this yeah. um, allele, yeah. <laughs> the, bliss, the bliss allele, yeah. <laughs> don't quote us on that, don't call it that. Um, <laughs> but people who have that, they do tend to, on the whole, not like pot as much yeah. because pot doesn't do as much for them. Yeah. However, there have been studies that have linked it to increased drug addiction to other drugs. And all of this stuff is pretty preliminary. Because what about the overeating? So the overeating, yes, there have also, it's also been linked to kind of appetite stuff, yeah. but there's not a lot of good work on overeating. It's always in kind of a whole suite of behaviors. Um, and we haven't been studying this particular variation for that long. It's because it's 
you know, quote unquote, but, bliss. Good for you. Like if it was bad for you, I think there'd be more well, no, actually, urgency. No, that's not true. Actually, a lot of people want to study this because if they can find what it does and mm-hmm. how it does it um, exactly and kind of pinpoint all of these things, it's great for pharmacological research mm-hmm. because if you can help it help people fight anxiety, help people fight PTSD, then it becomes incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. So people love finding mutations like this. Mm-hmm. So we do know, I mean, anandamide exists. We do know that when you have higher levels of anandamide, that it has all sorts of good benefits in terms of protecting you from stress, making you feel less anxious, making you feel generally happier. But do we know that you know, people who have this are just in generally, all of them are less anxious always. No, we don't know that. No, but um, if it, there's a correlation to a decline in anxiety. In stressful, but in stressful conditions, right? Yeah. It's always self-reported anxiety in stressful conditions, but it's not like day to day are you it's just not. generally anxious generally blissful hmm. there's just not that much data on that which doesn't mean it's not true I it just it to be true yeah yeah <laughs> but you also want you to have that mutation and we don't really don't know if you're in the five percent that how has do we it. find out you have to do a genetic test how could we do that is there 23 and anandamide in me i actually don't know if 23 and me will test for it I but perhaps but perhaps somebody who does genetic testing is listening and will offer to test you for the well, this has been anandamide for a long time my plan yeah this is my spin-off series oh ah, okay it's Excellent. called mike pasca has anandamide question mark well, he does have an endomide. Damn it. So does Maria Konnikova. So does everyone. Exclamation mark. <laughs> so what's our, what's our, is that bullshit question though? Well, I think what our, I think our, is that bullshit is, do you have this mutation? Okay. Probably not. Okay. Well, let me ask. Yes. Is it bullshit that Mike Pesca suffers from the bliss gene? Um, yes. Especially when you phrase it that way. It's absolute bullshit. Thank you, Mike, for letting me, uh, for <laughs> phrasing it in a way that, 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 that let me. <laughs> it's called the alley-oop. You dunk that. <laughs> well so you're done. saying I don't well suffer done. from the bliss gene? Right. Well, first of all, there is no bliss gene. Uh-huh. Right. The gene is FAH. And okay. we all have this gene. Unless yeah. you knock it out. In mice, it's been sometimes knocked out to yeah. study it. But this gene has different alleles, right? Yeah. And yeah. one of the polymorphisms, C385A, has been associated with increased levels of anandamide. Do I have that? Probably not. Because? Only 5% of people who are like you have it. And... Statistically speaking, mm. you're more likely in the 95% than in the 5%. Just because 95 is uh, a lot bigger than 5 is what you're saying? Yes. I'm 19 just, times just, bigger? Just is doing, that why? Just doing some basic math. Uh-huh. But what about of those who think they have it and have lived a life that comports with having have it? Have it you know, have it. I, I still would say probably okay. not. And the reason I would say that is when... I looked at, this was a while ago, another genetic mutation for short sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, So some people in the population, also a very small percentage, have a mutation um, that basically their bodies don't need as much sleep. Um, They can get by on like three or four hours. They're short sleepers. Right. Right. For, you take all the people who think they have it, yeah. and this is, was done, and then you bring them in and you test them, and out of all of those people, you find that it's the exact same low percentage. People That's just want insight. to people yeah. just want to think that they have it because yeah. it means that oh, this is fine and it's adequate and it's not like I'm underslept. I can function on this amount of sleep, and it is such a convenient thing. But it ends up that most people who think that they're short sleepers are not. 
they need just as much sleep as everyone else. And I think that's a pretty good analog for the good, situation that, that we have here. Although I have read that when, you know, some large percentage of people think they're a better than average driver, but <laughs> that's not, it's not true that most people think they're better at math, for instance. In fact, they think sure. because they're so bad at math, they think they're worse <laughs> than average. So it's like more things in our control we're th- we think we're better at and things that yeah, we don't, but I wonder how this plays into that. Well, I think that with the short sleep, I think the short sleep is actually similar to the anxiety stuff because uh-huh. you want to be able to say, oh, you know, the reason that I'm so late to this meeting is because I'm just a generally happy person. So I didn't huh. think it was going to be a, be- a that, big deal. I think that literally is something <laughs> I've said like 17 times in my life. Someone might have tipped me off that you might have said that at some point. <laughs> I'm not always pointing, here when you show up, right? Not pointing anything. Um... <laughs> Most of the time. Most of the time I'm here. How about that? <laughs> Maria Konnikova is the author of The Biggest Bluff. She surprised me with these anandamide findings. They're fascinating. Thank you so much for coming by, Maria. Thank you, Mike. Now go get tested for your anandamide mutation. I'd like to. And now the spiel. I don't know if Biden 2020 will be the emergent campaign of this cycle. It does seem that if he stumbles, it will have less to do with what Biden does in 2020 or 2019 than what he did in 2006 or 2002 or 1979. The former vice president has been made to answer, for instance, from this statement back in 1975. I think the concept of busing, that we are going to integrate people so that they all have the same access and they learn to grow up with one another and and, and all the rest, is a rejection of the whole movement of black pride, is a rejection of the entire black awareness concept where black is beautiful, black culture should be studied, and a cultural awareness of the importance of their own identity, their own individuality. And then, in 1987... He said this. I won the international moot court competition. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only need 123 credits. And I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like, Frank. Don't know who Frank was. That didn't help him. So played one from the 70s, one from the 80s, one from the 90s. Well, that's the whole Anita Thomas hearings. We did a whole show on that. How about the aughts? So CNN unearthed today. This talk that Joe Biden gave to a Rotary Club in South Carolina in 2006, where he was talking about funding for a few hundred miles of border fencing. He went on to say that it wouldn't be enough unless there was also some effective mechanisms for enforcing employment rules. So now I'm going to play the audio. It is what you might call subsonorous, but you can understand it. I voted for 700 miles fence, but let me tell you, we can go fence 40 stories high unless we change the dynamic in Mexico. And, and, you will not like this, and punish American employers who knowingly violate the law when in fact they hire illegals. Unless you do those two things, all the rest is window dressing. All right, the headlines about this, about uh, Joe Biden talking about we could build a fence, you could build even more fence, but it's all going to be window dressing. The headlines, Vanity Fair, 
Here's a clip of Joe Biden sounding a lot like Trump. And this one, Biden caught in immigration hypocrisy after rediscovered clip shows him demanding border fence. Now, that headline was in RT, Russia Today. It is Russia propaganda, but it's also the third headline that showed up when I Googled Biden fence Mexico. Why is RT in our lives? Because Google doesn't think it's important enough to keep RT out of our lives. All right, that aside, there is no hypocrisy in what Joe Biden said. There is, in fact, his record. I mean, you can unearth some blurry video with audio quality that might be described as, say, subsonorous. Or you could just, alternatively, look at how the guy voted. Maybe if you had institutional memory, you can recall how the guy voted. And in 2006, Congress passed the Secure Fence Act. Lawmakers approved $1.4 billion to build 700 miles of pedestrian and vehicle fencing and some technology. Who voted for it? Not every Democrat, but Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, and 22 other Democrats and all the Republicans. And the second thing he said in the clip, the requirement that employers verify workers, that's also been longstanding Democratic policy. It's a longstanding popular policy, in fact, comes up whenever someone talks about the Democrats and the Republicans striking a deal about immigration or DACA. You know, the Democrats can can bargain away E-Verify, which they don't oppose, and then the Republicans could allow the DACA kids to get status to allow them to stay. Why do we treat this as a new gaffe or something embarrassing? It is just a position that is right there, that reflects the vote, that is right there, that is the explanation of why the vote was made coming from the mouth of one of the senators who made the vote. It's not shocking. And beyond being not shocking, it's not unpopular. Or another cleaner way of saying that is it's popular. The programs that Biden was talking about in that clip that are supposedly a gaffe are popular programs. ABC Washington Post poll from last year. Do you think the United States is currently doing too much, too little, or about the right amount to keep undocumented immigrants from coming into this country? Americans as a whole, 54% said too little, 16% said too much, and 24% said the right amount. So, a majority of opinion is that the United States is doing too little to keep undocumented immigrants from coming to the country. 2018, Harvard poll found that 61% of registered voters believed that current border security was inadequate. 39% felt it was adequate. So the headline of this shouldn't be about hypocrisy or unearthed clips. The headline could be presidential frontrunner once espoused position that he probably still has slash that you probably still have. By the way, he also espoused a position that Nancy Pelosi currently has. So again, is there a place where enhanced fencing, Normandy fencing would work? Uh, let, Let them have that discussion. So that was a few months ago. It gives lie to the sentence that I'm going to read from the CNN story that accompanied the breaking news that they found this 13 year old video. Here is the sentence. Then Senator Biden's past comments show an approach to the issue of immigration that could run afoul of the party's more liberal wing as Biden seeks the Democratic nomination to take on President Trump in 2020. It also shows how Biden's long record in government can at times provide a contrast to where the Democratic Party has evolved in recent years. I do not think they have, quote unquote, evolved. 
little bit of a judgment in that word, huh? I don't think they've evolved from those positions in recent years. And by party, I mean the people in the party, the people leading the party, and the people who, when you ask them, how do you vote, say Democratic, as, as indicated by the polls I read. Now, in the clip, or in the fuller clip, Biden does use the word illegals to describe people who are now mostly described as undocumented workers. A half generation ago, they'd be illegal aliens. Illegals is not just out of favor. It is, I will flat out say it, it is the improper word to use. People aren't illegal. It's inexact. It's slang. It's demeaning. I do think the presence of that one phrase combined with the incendiary framing that Biden is just like Trump, it's all just massively misleading. Few, if any Democratic voters want just open fields and streams and no checkpoints at the border. Voters are anti-cruelty, but they are also anti-open borders. They say, okay, maybe some fencing here and there and some enforcement once people get inside. That is not a lot like Trump. What that is a lot like is a lot like what the American people want, which is why Joe Biden seems to a lot of Americans to be a fair reflection of where they stand. And that is it for today's show. Pierre and Daniel, we're out. The entire thing was produced by Ms. Samantha Lee. Need an edit or two or three? Try Samantha Lee. T.J. Raphael, senior producer of Slate Podcasts. She wanted to serve steak, but she over-dracarist the T-bone. Damn. The gist. So who won the big fight between the hound and the mountain? I'm going with the mountain. Why? The hound died, but the mountain also died, but he started off dead. So, lateral move. Umpru, depru, dupru, and thanks for listening.